Welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and this is season two of Books at Work and I can't wait to share some of the books we've got in store. As we face another year of challenging work and lives with COVID, I really hope Books at Work provides a bit of an escape and ideas for making work better. I hate all the terminology around termination, right? Letting people go. It's like you're holding their hand and you're at the cliff and you let them go and they fall off, right? right? Um, Firing people. There's no weapons. There's no blood. That's the beautiful voice and accent of Patty McCord, who was Chief Talent Officer at Netflix, and she's author of our book today, Powerful. Remember, you can go into the drawer for a free copy of Powerful. Just let me know what you think of this episode. If you've shared the podcast with others, or follow Books at Work on Instagram, or subscribe at booksatwork.co.nz, please do get in touch. Let's get into our season two of interesting books with our speed read of Powerful. First off, who is Patty McCord? Well, she was Chief Talent Officer at Netflix for almost a decade and a half, and she helped create the Netflix Culture Deck. It's been described as one of the most important documents to come out of Silicon Valley. Powerful tells Netflix's story of building a culture of freedom and responsibility, things that Patty's realised are still important today, especially as we work in a world with COVID. Powerful shares what Patty learned at Netflix and at other Silicon Valley places she worked. She's upfront, upfront. Did Netflix do everything right? Not by a long shot, but they evolved their ways of working through incremental adaptation, trying new things, making mistakes, beginning again, and seeing good results. What did Netflix do? Well, they built a culture believing that people have power and to not take that away. They wanted all their people to challenge the management team and each other vigorously, to speak up about ideas and problems, to freely push back. They didn't want anyone at any level to keep vital insights and concerns to themselves. One of the pillars of the culture was radical honesty. Patty will talk more about this when we chat in a moment. But this was about telling one another the truth in a timely fashion, ideally face to face. Telling the truth respectfully and honestly and building trust. Another important feature of the culture and this concept was having strong fact-based opinions, avidly debating them and rigorously testing them. They wanted a culture of great teamwork and innovative problem solving. Netflix reminded people that they walked in the door with power and they created conditions so they could exercise it, and great work was a result. They treated people like adults, stripped away policies and procedures, and experimented. It wasn't a free-for-all. Principles and behaviours guided them. Great teams mattered at Netflix, so what did this look like? Great teams were made when every single member knew where they were going and did anything to get there. Every single person needed to understand the business. According to Patty, great teams aren't created with incentives, procedures and perks. Powerful says that the strongest motivators at work aren't money, but it's about having great team members to work with who trust one another to do great work and who challenge each other. 
At Netflix, they experimented with ways to liberate teams from unnecessary rules and approvals, methodically analysing what was working and how they could keep freeing people up to be more creative, more productive and happy. That's that freedom and responsibility culture. Another feature of the Netflix culture was a relentless focus on the future. That meant building the company now that they wanted to be then. Hire the team now you wish to have in the future. Don't expect your team of today to be the team you need for tomorrow. Patty advocates and believes that sometimes it's important to let even people who've done a great job go to make space for high performers and new functions, all with different skills. And Patty's algorithm for deciding that is the person doing what they love to do? Are they extraordinarily good at what they're doing? Is this something that the organisation needed someone to be great at? Patty sums up her book with this. When people have power, more control over their careers, they feel more confident. They speak up, they take risks, they pick themselves up when they make mistakes and they take on more responsibility. And they will do amazing things. As a leader, it isn't our job to give people power. They have it. So unleash it. Right, let's get into our chat with Patty. So I'm absolutely delighted to have Patty McCord on Books at Work today. Uh, a little bit star- starstruck. So thank you, Patty, and welcome to 2022. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And um, I love having fan people around the world. So thank you for being one. Wonderful. Now, our first question is always, where in the world are you? And what's the view out your window today? I'm in Larkspur, California, because this is the place that I come to visit my granddaughter. And what's out my window is a foggy day and my little fluffy dog. Sounds perfect. Um, Now, I want to get into it because we've got, as usual, lots to cover. Um, And really just wanted to ground things on... You were at Netflix a few years ago for 14 years, and it was all about a new way of working and just wondering whether the things that you learnt there are still relevant today or still as relevant today as they were a few years ago. I absolutely think so. You know, so what I did at Netflix was not invent an incredibly new way to work. I mean, I'm often credited for being you know, this big innovator. And the honest truth is I didn't invent anything. I just stopped doing stupid stuff. So what I realized was that part of the reason why people weren't feeling like they're contributing or really getting incredible work done that was satisfying was there was all this stuff that got in the way, all these permissions and um, procedures and policies that were kind of built for us to protect ourselves from those evil employees that might sue us. (laughs) And then I realized, well, wait a minute, that's, that's crazy, right? You know, you spend all this time and money hiring these amazing people to do these amazing things. And then you put in all these rules that keep them from doing that. So honestly, the biggest invention that I did and the biggest message for your listeners is stop doing stuff that doesn't matter. So how do you work out? How how do you work out what doesn't matter? Um, You have to look at, so I learned from, when I was at Netflix in particular, I learned from 
you know, I was a very early employee. We were uh, creating a business that didn't exist in the world. Uh, we had to say what's important to our customer, what really matters, because if we give them something that's exceptional, they won't, they'll not stop using it, right? So because we were a subscription model, we wanted people to stay engaged. And then I just applied all of those principles to the work that I did as a HR professional, which was, am I uh, in the way or empowering people to, in, in fact, I'll tell you later, I hate the word empowering, giving people the power to do their great work. And so what I started doing was looking at every single thing we did and asking why. Annual performance reviews. Why do you do them, right? What's the point? Well, some people say it's a, uh, it's a structured methodology to give people in, people uh, feedback on how to improve their performance so they'll be better workers. Sounds great to me. I mean, I honestly, I couldn't, when I did a lot of research, find any direct scientific evidence that, that verified that, but I'm going to go with it. But I said, if that's the truth, if that's why we do it, and you want people to be able to have feedback to get better performance once a year, oh, that's crazy. Looking back, Oh, by the way, it's December, and that thing you did in February <laughs> really sucked. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense at all. So if that's the purpose of the exercise, then it doesn't fulfill its purpose at all because feedback is most effective in the moment. Okay, so let's put that aside. Okay, well then, no, the reason for the annual performance review is to give feedback on people's performance so that you can pay them adequately, right? So we're paying people for what they did or didn't do last year based on what we need to do tomorrow. Like that doesn't make any sense. And if you look at any other sort of compensation mechanism, you look at real estate or, you know, it's like, well, what your house is worth last year may not be what it's worth this year because there's different competition around it. So what I did was I took that lens to everything to asking finance for approvals, to figuring out a vacation policy, to deciding whether or not um, you, know, you could figure out what you wanted to do and needed to do without asking permission from your boss and your boss's boss and your boss's boss. And so once I started doing that, I, I found opportunity all over the place <laughs> because there's so much wasted time doing what we've always done, because that's the way we've always done it. So that whole thing of um, opportunity and feedback, I do want to talk about your idea or your the concept that you talk about, about radical honesty. So might just dive yeah. into that now. Um, to be honest with you, I wish I had never used the word. Okay, why is that? I wish I had never used the word radical when I talked about honesty, because the truth is, being honest isn't that radical. It's just radical in the way we work. So I don't mean telling you, you know, you look ugly today and I hate you, right? What I mean is talking about what we're trying to accomplish at work and whether or not we're doing the best thing to accomplish that and whether or not we're doing the best idea. And so I have a couple of phrases that I say all the time. One of them is um, have an opinion, take a stand, and be right most of the time. So 
if you want to solve a problem, I really don't care about your opinion unless you're willing to take a stand. I think this isn't working very well. And I think if we did this differently, then these would be the results that we'd find in this amount of time, right? And if you don't have to be right all the time when you're making stuff up, but if you're right most of the time, then you start thinking, wait, I, I, have, I have something to contribute. And so what I tried to create was an environment that rewarded the people who noticed things that were wrong, thought of ways to improve them. So, you know, I used to tell people, you know, problem finders, they're not very helpful, right? Problem solvers are worth their weight in gold. So have an opinion, take a stand and be right most of the time. So I don't care about your opinion unless you're willing to take a stand. And one of the things that I teach managers now is I teach people how to teach people how to think on their feet. So I say to them, you know, when somebody says to you, I think management were idiots, I think this is a really stupid idea, this is a bad decision, um, then you ask them two questions and the second one's most important. The first question is, if you were in management, what decision would you have made? Second, more important, if you were in management, what information would you want to have to make the best decision? So you teach people that decisions are made based on input. And if that input isn't honest and based on fact, then it's not helpful, which is radical honesty. When I was reading that in the book, the bit that um, kind of sat uncomfortably with me about that was uh, being right most of the time. Because yeah. how do you how do you know that you're right most of the time? <laughs> um, and so I guess that that little formula that you've just articulated helps you go through that thought process of it's not just a, an opinion, it's just not mouthing off, but actually it's backed by substance and thought. Exactly, and, and it's depth. not about opining about esoteric philosophy. You know, it's about opining about what we need to do to make our business move forward and make a customer happy, right? So I say the only job of management is to create great teams that do amazing work that satisfy customers on time with quality, right? So it's within that context that I'm talking about radical honesty. You know, I, you know, I used to coach a lot of people and say, they're like, well, you know, I went home and I talked to my wife and I was trying to be radically honest. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 this is for here at work. <laughs> to want a different kind of, you know, when they say, does my butt look big? The answer is always no. What I'm talking about at work is being able to, in real time, say, I'm not sure this is the best idea. I've got a different idea about how this might work. I'm not sure we're considering all the factors that are in this. You know, um, most people, when their manager says, can you, I need this to be done quickly. Can you get it done on Friday? Your answer is, of course, absolutely. Do it on Friday, right? And then you do it on Friday and it's kind of a crappy job because the real, to do it right takes three weeks. And so then your manager's disappointed because you met the deadline, but it was a crummy product. And, right. and so I try and teach people how to say, um, yes, I can, um, but what is it for? Okay, so what's the problem you're trying to solve in the time frame you're trying to solve it and who are you solving it for? 
And once you have that parameter around the problem, then radical honesty isn't that radical. I am keen to talk a little bit about uh, what creates, creates a great team from your perspective and um, this concept of teams versus family that you talk about in the book. So, so in your view, what, what creates a great team? Well, great teams at work are things that only happen at work, right? It's when you are with a group of people that you admire and respect who are as smart or smarter than you and you set out to do something that you didn't think you could do and you accomplished it, right? So when I left Netflix, I entered the world during the time of uh, happiness HR. I, you might remember that. This is before the pandemic when the job was to make every, I mean, I met people who's literally whose job titles were chief happiness officers because if we had happy employees, they would blah, blah, blah. So, I would meet with them and I would say, okay, here's my assignment for you. I want you to find five people in your organization that are amazing. And it doesn't have to be by title, but people who everyone talks about, they're legends in the organization because they've done some contribution that really matters, right? And ask them, tell me about the time that you felt like you did something that really mattered to the company or to the customer or to the team, right? And every single story will be about something that's hard, right? It won't be like, oh, we had beers <laughs> and chips and the macadamia nuts were great. It will be like, we didn't think we could do it. We could pull it off. We pulled it off. And the thing about doing that at work is that's the only time in your life you have that experience. It's not family, right? Family is you loan your brother-in-law money and you know he's never going to pay it back and so whatever. Teamwork is about accomplishing things, right? When I left Netflix, I spent a lot of time speaking and I was on, I was on stage a lot with professional sports coaches. And I got to tell you, I learned more from them than I learned from any business book in Silicon Valley in my whole life. Like they, they're, they put together a team of people to win and they're very, they're very explicit about that's what you do. They're also very explicit about like you're on the team until you're not. And that's okay. Right. It's, it's not like, you know, you're, you're, an, you turned into an evil person. You just, we found somebody better. Right. So that idea of team and accomplishment really resonated with me. It's like, you know, your life, all of us know whether we admit it or not, that our careers are journeys and that it's highly unlikely that you're going to be on the same team forever, because if you are, that team will fail. So that's, that's what I mean. You know, it's not, it's not family. It's not, there's a feeling of um, incredible bonding and incredible uh, um, affection for the people that you work with when you get something, you know, when you do something together, it's amazing. And I have friends that I've been on teams with that are my friends for the rest of my life. It doesn't mean I can't love them but they're not my family, they're my teammates. And I think separating that out helps us all realize that we get together on a team to win. It's different than a family. 
So can we explore that a little bit more? Um, you talk about being a, a great company to be from. You talk about making sure you have the right people, which means letting go of people. And you alluded to that a little bit in what you're talking about sports teams. Can you explore that a little bit, bit more? Because there's quite a bit in the book about, you know, having some amazing people who had just either outgrown Netflix or they were right when Netflix was small, but not right as it was growing. So can you uncover that a little bit for yeah, us? Yeah, so let me tell you a couple of things about that. One of them is um, I hate all the terminology around termination, right? Letting people go. It, it's like you're holding their hand and you're at the cliff and you let them go and they fall off, <laughs> right? right? Um, firing people. There's no weapons. There's no blood. It may be my next book, right? Which is about... The problem with all the, the way we talk about that, firing people, letting them go, cutting them off, you know, severing, severing, right? I mean, it's like, Ugh. all of that is creates a feeling of shame. Yes. Right. And I personally can't think of any feeling that's worth for, worse for a human than the feeling of shame. And so if you step back and you say, we want to create a team of people that wins. What you have to do is determine what the win is. Okay. Which led me to what you alluded to earlier is what if our, what if our objective as management and as leaders was to create a great team to be from? What if, right? What if, so this goes all the way back to when Reed hired me. He said, uh, I said, what if it, what if we created a company that was a great place to be from? And what I meant was like, it, it looked cool on your resume, like or in your CV. It's like, oh, you worked at Apple during the Macintosh. Oh, you're so cool. <laughs> and that's what I meant. But I realized that what it meant was being able to give people CV worthy experiences that were something that you could leverage in your future career, because that's what we all do. So I, I, I love that. I totally love that in so many ways, but also particularly with, you know, the different roles that people are getting and different expectations of different generations. With COVID, it just seems like such a, a wonderfully um, robust and generous concept. But is it is it real? Like, is it something that companies are embracing? Um, well, I don't know if companies are. Did you listen to the news? I listened to the news today, right? I'm in America and um, it's the largest population of people who have voluntarily quit their jobs ever mm -hmm. in America, ever, right? And so when people were talking to me, you know, in September of last year, I'm like, oh, you wait. <laughs> I mean, it's so pent up. As soon as people realize they have agency and they can leave, they will leave. Partly because so stifling, no matter what you're doing, even if you love it, it's like, I just want to do something different. <laughs> the other thing that's happened is people have realized, wow, working from home might really work for me. And if my company decides that that's you know not okay and they can't wait for everybody to get back at work and I got to get in the car and commute three hours a day, Maybe I'll work for a company in Texas, right? And a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So, you know, the whole millennial stuff, 
well, what happened with millennials was they grew up, they got married, they had children. And now what happened during the pandemic is a lot of them moved closer to their parents because they don't have to live in California when their parents live in Ohio. They can live in Ohio and work for a company in California. They can live in New Zealand, right? <laughs> they can live in all over the world. So now our global workforce really, really, really is. And so I think that change is profound and forever. Um, now we're running out of time, but I did just want to talk about COVID and some of the other yeah. concepts in the book around around trust and some of those other concepts that might be more relevant now than maybe 10 years ago. Uh, so just keen to get your view on that. Um, yeah, let's talk about freedom and responsibility, which is a, um, become kind of a cliche, but a concept that I believe in to my bones, which is, and it has a structure around it. You know, I'm often known for being shoot from the hip and, you know, really radical, but I'm not. I actually like discipline and I like structure. And the structure around it is if you have extraordinary clarity about what needs to be done to make your business successful or satisfy your customer, your constituents, whether they're a nonprofit, whatever it is, you have that clarity. And, and, and this is the thing that we don't spend a lot of time on. And you have a time frame around it that is realistic. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I kept getting these Fortune 100 companies calling me like, why do I know? I'm like, yeah, so that entire month of January of 2019 that you spent doing the five-year plan, how's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, to me, realistic planning is six months to a year, right? So when you have clarity about what the problems are, what you need to solve, how you're going to serve the customer, in what time frame, in what way. And you work backwards from that, right? You look forward, you work backwards. Then you say, okay, what kind of teams do we need to build to accomplish that work? And you start off with what work you need to accomplish. And what the pandemic gave us was everybody had to do that, whether they were good at it or not. And we had to say, you know, here's what you need to accomplish by Friday and trust people to do it. And they did, right? It's like, oh my God, I can't believe people are working without supervision. They're getting all their work done. They would have done it anyway. You can trust them, right? People don't come to work to screw a company. If they do, fire them. <laughs> Get, let, let them go, save them, whatever, <laughs> right? But 99.9% .9 of the people in the world go to work because they want to accomplish something with other people they respect to do great work for a customer. That's it. And so they did. So I think that this, you know, the whole thing about workers have more power than they ever have before, I think is really enlightening. I think it's amazing. I think that our ability to trust people is greater than ever before. I think we're in desperate crisis losing the female workforce. And so the pandemic gives us a real opportunity to think about who works, who doesn't, how we work, how we don't. So I think it's a real opportunity for us to talk about integrating our whole lives 
Thank you, Patty. That whole last, uh, your observations just there, uh, there are so many questions I've got around that, around women in the workforce and integrating family. There's such <laughs> richness there. I might have to do another conversation with you. But, um, we can do it. Yeah, I do have to do. <laughs> really, really enjoyed um, catching up with you and having this conversation and very grateful for it. So thank you very much. On to the powerful take five. One. Does your team or organisational culture create the freedom to speak up about ideas, to challenge and to push back? Two, make a difference by having an opinion, formulating a case based on facts and information, take a stand and be right most of the time. Three, a great team isn't your family. A great team accomplishes things they never thought they could. It's hard and it isn't about chips and drinks or pinball machines. Four, Build a great team or place to be from. Create CV-worthy experiences for people to take elsewhere. And five, rethink how you talk about someone who's leaving. Termination, letting go, firing, severing. There are no weapons, no blood. This is language that builds shame when people leave. That's our Books at Work powerful episode done and dusted. Please let me know what you think and please share the podcast with anyone you think might be interested. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books That Work, making work better.